0: Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, the Cusp Show La Jolla edition, as we're going to explain in <laughs> a little while. I'm Joe Favorito with my co-host Tom Richardson.
1: Right, hey Joe, uh, and we're not in we La Jolla, La Jolla, La Jolla by the way, edition, so. but, but let's face it, yeah. we're in New York City. In another Studio storms D, you know? allegedly yeah. hitting us this week, and everybody's a little bit depressed about that. And having just spent four days in California, I'm really down about it because it was gorgeous out there, and our guest is going to tell us more about it.
0: But we're going to be uh, a little bit of uh, sunshine today for everyone. Here in Studio D in the in, uh, beautiful Midtown Manhattan with our able-bodied producer, Maurice Eisenman, who gives us the thumbs up. We're going to talk about kind of a potpourri of topics today. Um, women in sports, gaming and esports, a little bit of baseball, some women fantasy. Women in gaming and esports. Women in gaming and right. esports and fantasy. Um, because our guest is Julie Alexandria. Hi, Julie.
1: Hi. Hey, Julie. Good to have you. Thank you. I was going to say back, but Mm -hmm. we've realized it's the first time we've done it, as I'm saying that.
0: So so Julie uh, has had really kind of a very diverse career in front of the camera, on the gaming side, Um, was one of the original hosts of SNY's... Beer Money. Beer Money. I I was going to say Bar Money, but it's Beer Money, right? Um, Has done on-air stuff for everyone from the Padres, to the Nationals, to the Mets, worked with us at Bloomberg Sports when we launched our fantasy platform, has done a good amount of work and knows kind of the business of eSports, maybe like unlike most women. Um, Has worked on the entertainment side, did a show at the US Open with another one of our, um, that was with, um, who was your co-host?
2: Tim Morehouse. Uh, Tim
0: Morehouse, who was a a podcast guest last year. Nice. Um, Olympic fencer. Um, So, Julie Alexandria, welcome to the Columbia University Sports The Cusp Show.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So, before um, we kind of get into the topics of today, why don't you give us like five minutes on how you got from Queens, correct?
2: Yes, Belrose.
0: To to La Jolla uh, and the stops (laughs) in between.
2: Oh, man. So, uh, I was born in Queens. I'm a New York native. My parents are from the Bronx, I'm a Puerto Rican Jew from Queens, as I say. One Epstein. <laughs> exactly. One so Epstein, for those that remember the is show. Is that
1: literally t- true? You're Puerto Rican? Yes. And you're Jewish? Yes. Wow. My dad is
2: Russian-Jewish on his background, and my mom is New Yorkian, so she is first generation mainlander here um, in New York, and so English was her second language, and she never taught me Spanish, which really would have helped working right. in baseball, right. and working in anything, really, um, but with the immigrant mentality of... Not wanting her child to have an accent, and you know, obviously having gone through what she went through, having an accent, she wanted me to not have an accent. Now I could just—I'm so mad that I wasn't brought up bilingual. There's
1: always always Duolingo. (laughs) I know, I
2: know.
0: And we talked about that last week. About I thought you did—you have an understanding of Spanish, but I do. I do,
2: but not fluent enough to conduct uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: interviews on air. But um, moving on, so I grew up in Southern California, and then I came back to New York as quickly as I could and immediately started working in Broadway and stage and toured with a few different productions and then got into hosting. And Beer Money on SNY, the sports trivia game show that took place in bars, asking Mm -hmm. Um, Semi inebriated, drunk um, <laughs> sports fans, questions. Um, that kind of launched my career. And from there, I was the. Was that with Chris
1: Carlin? That was. Okay.
2: Chris Carlin, who is one of my most favorite people in the industry. And now with the big job on yes, the fan. Congratulations, yeah. Chris Carlin. Yeah. Um, and Maggie Gray. One of the
1: voices of the afternoon. Yep. That's right.
2: And uh, from there, I hosted Mets Weekly, the Mets magazine show, for two years on SNY as well, and really got acclimated to sort of clubhouse etiquette and really just learned the inner workings of what it meant to work for a team and what it meant to interact with players and the correct way to approach a player. And it was really just an incredible learning experience that kind of primed me for becoming a sideline reporter because we were doing just mostly magazine features and um, talking to guys just sort of about their life off the field. And from there, I went to MTV. I was a VJ on MTV hosting their version. They always have a different one of TRL. From there, I ended up working for Big Ten Network covering college football, which led to Fox covering college football, um, Pac-12, Big 12 conferences, and then went to the Washington Nationals in my first sideline reporting job in-house for a team. Uh, and that was that was incredible. And big fan of the Learner family. And my experience there in Washington was amazing. And the fans were incredible. The team was wonderful. And um, that's where I learned that if you win over the leader in the clubhouse, you're good with all of them. So thank you, Jason Worth. And you gain the respect of one, you gain the respect Mm -hmm. of all. And from there, um, I went back to New York, hosted an entertainment daily show that I anchored and and then got an offer from the Padres and then moved out to San Diego. And here we are. And uh, I did that for one season and then decided that was it. And doing now, vo-
0: doing voiceovers.
2: Doing voiceovers. Well, commercial this with Chris career. Paul, correct? Yes, yeah. that's right. So, yes, yeah. with Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Um who's Chris is, the Slayer. one that's on yes. TV now? Um yeah, so he, it's basically Steph Curry is a spokesperson with Kaiser Permanente what? as one of his main <clears throat> sponsors. And so he is an advocate for mental health. And so he has this commercial that um, was airing during the All-Star um, last year that we recorded and John Heffernan was also a voice, um, he's the in-house, uh, in-stadium voice of the Rangers, or he was mm-hmm. at one point. Um, and so the, the commercial, the spot is a bunch of sports reporters getting down on Steph Curry and kind of questioning his performance and questioning his mental capacity and his ability and just, you know, where he is mentally and physically and sort of him as a player blocking it all out, which is something that obviously a lot of athletes have to deal with, um, you know, with the beat reporters and everyone asking them questions and having to answer for their performance. And so the commercial is him just sort of getting through that. And they wanted actual sports reporters and voices on the radio to do those voices. And so that was one of those strange jobs where my real life background kind of came into play, but I do voiceovers for everything from video games to TV commercials, to narration books on tape, kids toys, um, and to yeah, TV, radio commercials. So all you, of I it.
1: assume you have an agent to I get did. those I opportunities. Do. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, a few. And you have a uh, the audio equivalent of a portfolio. Yes, oh, yeah. I have
2: a reel. I have a reel with that's a lot a, of that's the varying degrees of voices and types and accents and I do. Funny enough, I do a lot of British voiceovers. Really, which is really strange. Well, I'm going to ask that because
1: to me that's a really interesting business and it's a very big business, bigger than mm. I think most people realize. Yeah. But do you are you more sellable or marketable if you offer impressions or other accents or something like that?
2: Not Is that so part much part of the pitch. Not so much impressions because if someone wants to hire a celebrity, they'll go and hire the celebrity. Um, but as far as accents, I mean, that's always. Great to have a portfolio yeah. to you know, kind of have a, a bag of tricks to be able to pull something out if they need something or if they want something read a different way. Especially when you're doing character work, if you're doing animation, mm-hmm. you definitely have to you right. know, put on a character because it's usually not. So, what here. are
1: some of your best? And since we're doing a podcast, maybe you can share some. Maybe of we your should best. have some guests join us. Are you guys <laughs> joining us? <laughs> you got throw us throws a few bones now that Please. we brought it up. Look at this! A
0: a British woman just walked in the door. Who are uh, you, British woman? Hello,
2: it's so nice to meet you. But my name is Alice. Nice to meet you too. Yes, thank yes. you. No, it's lovely to be here in, in New York City and to be working here uh, as a professional voiceover artist and I'm really, really proud of the fact that you decided to have me on.
1: And so... I, I think we should continue the podcast. <laughs> with, I, I, I want to see,
0: see who else comes in the door. Let's see who else is going to walk in the door. Now. So
2: then... I know. Well, it's so funny. Like, It's one thing to have just like one sort of way to talk, but depending on what... The content is, depending on what the product is and depending on what part of the country you're reading for, they want something to sound familiar. So, that's really important, too, is that you kind of understand the different regional dialects because there's not just one southern accent. There's so many different ones. So. Anyway, it, didn't, wow. it goes cool. on from damn, there. That's really
0: fun. Well, good for you. It Sounds like a multiple good. guests on the show. Yeah, like, good see so. you. And
2: good little kids too.
0: Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> Julie just inhaled some <laughs> some healing. <laughs> as a matter of fact, so damn um,
1: that's really funny. Uh, but it, but let we'll let go, go back to go back to, that go back to you. So, <laughs> you, you know you you kind of threw in the fact that you were you were doing some acting when you mm. first got going. Yeah. Right? Was that your main aspiration?
2: yeah i went to school and sports was a second choice yeah well sports was a oh it came out of self-preservation and so many people ask how did you get into sports where do you have your journalism degree from and the honest answer is i don't um at the time in 2008 when beer money was the pilot for beer money was being shot the economic downturn had just happened Mm -hmm. i was doing a show for cbs and we knew we were getting canceled in november and everyone I knew in the entertainment industry, whether it be they had a show on Broadway or they were touring or they were doing in concert or TV shows, everyone was getting canceled, budgets were getting slashed, and all of the executives were getting fired. And so, as you know, when an executive gets fired, all of the projects that they have underneath them usually get wiped away. So, nobody was working, everyone was in a panic. The one industry that I, to this day, will stand by that is recession proof is sports. Mm-hmm. And it was the one industry that was hiring, and it was hiring women, and it wanted women. And every audition that was coming out for anything sports, lifestyle, anything sports oriented, they wanted female hosts. It was really important to them because all of a sudden, I mean, this is the eve of Aaron Andrews becoming a big star, mm-hmm. and you had quote unquote attractive women interviewing. Baseball, football, mm-hmm. soccer, tennis, golf—you name it. Players,
1: right? And I and, was, and a proliferation of televised sports and yes. outlets, right? Yes, we know the league networks, which was a new thing, absolutely, right. and
2: and online content, right.
1: and, and not to mention online, right?
2: right. That was really coming yeah. into play, and so and esports and, e-sports yeah. and digital content, right. and so all of a sudden, everybody was wanting female sports personalities, and and it had to be you—you you had to know your stuff. But you also had to have a good personality, and you also had to look good. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the way it was. And so it, I mean, still is. Um, So at the time, eSports was just kind of just blossoming, and Major League Gaming was the first company that I worked for. And technically, I owe them, it's really them who gave me my first sideline job. I was Mm -hmm. the first, I guess, the first female eSports sideline reporter in North America um, for the Pro Circuit, which was, at the time, we were doing Halo. Halo Three, which then came Halo Reach, and then Call of Duty became bigger, Black Ops, and then I did that tour from 2008 to 2011, and I was on the pro tour, and so that was with Chris, Chris Puckett, who's now obviously uh, doing Overwatch and has stuck with MLG and is absolutely fabulous. Um, but MLG was was wonderful and working for Sundance and Mike Supso, and really just getting my feet wet and. Honestly, if I think back to it, if I would have stayed in esports, what would my career look mm-hmm. like now? Because I had no idea that right. it would become right. as big as it has. Right. And at the time, we were selling out ballrooms. Well, it, it had gotten bigger from ballrooms. We were selling out convention center floors and spaces. Um, but there was no such thing as an esports arena. There was no such thing as these, you know, leagues as it were now, and it was much less organized. Um, but it, but it was an incredible experience and being able to travel and really learn the personalities. And and even today, I mean, I remember covering Ninja back when he was competing in yeah. Halo. And here he is, and he's playing Fortnite with Drake. And mm. it's like you saw well, these... We'll talk about
1: Twitch too, so Tom. Yeah, so well... Did you have a steep learning curve in, in, the, in that first year with MLG? I did. Unless I did. you had been a lifelong gamer and you knew I, all this stuff. And, and, and you're I not wasn't. a gamer. I, I'm it?
2: not. I mean, admittedly, I, I played... I mean, gosh, a little bit of Counter Strike with my brother when he was like into going to lands like back, and so like I knew that. Right. But, but I guess the thing that also really helped was that I'm a huge nerd, as it is. I'm big, like just nerd, and I have an appreciation and a respect for the community. And I think at the heart of it, that's what allowed me to really get into the community and because you have to have a respect for it i mean i think a lot of people have this attitude of oh esports oh it's just some you know pimply adolescents playing video games in their parents basements and i was always the first to say no it's not these kids are paying off their parents mortgages with the winnings from these competitions and there were these wonderful stories that i wanted to tell because all of these kids and they were kids and they still are it it was just amazing, the, the ability, because people would say, well, that's not a sport. What kind of ability does that take? Well, it's competition. And you've got some kids that are just, are so incredible at what they do. It's it's amazing. So there was a steep learning curve, but it was born out of the respect for the community and for the ability that these kids
0: possessed. So we'll get back to esports in a second. But the other piece that Tom and I, well, actually, I, we crossed paths before, but you guys crossed paths Mm -hmm. was at Bloomberg Sports when you became part of the uh, Revenge of the Nerds group that helped (laughs) launch Bloomberg Sports, but also we created a little bit of a platform for women playing fantasy. Mm -hmm. How did the fantasy world kind of play into that with you? Were were you always kind of a, was the fantasy kind of the hybrid of being a sports fan and looking at esports or or how how did that kind of come about and do you still play? Yeah, I
2: admittedly I do not. Oh.
0: Before, and before I forget, yes. tell the David Wright story about picking your team.
2: Oh gosh. That was <laughs> so, Oh man. It all ties together. And it so. all ties together. I think that was actually, it was Dave Rocchinello, who's their yep. bullpen catcher, mm-hmm. um, who was helping me pick my fantasy team. Because I was uh I was texting with them and it was during the draft, and I was like a little bit lost on a couple of guys, and I'm like, who? who can I ask that would be really good at this? I'm like, David Wright and Dave Ricanello, of course. <laughs> and they're really good friends and, and just two really great buddies. And, and they're mm-hmm. fantastic. So they helped me um, They help me pick my team. But uh, you So know, how did you get
0: involved with Fantasy?
2: I got involved with Fantasy. I was asked to be part of the all-women's team, yeah. which was great, which introduced me to so many other women in the industry. So that it was you, starting out.
0: Tina Servasio, yes. right? Um, Anita Marks. Yep. Right. Uh, I forget who else was on that team, but that's kind of where it started. We had an all-female team at one yeah. point. When we Jordan, ever, Jordan, I, I'll think of what her last name is, but we can keep going. Yeah. So no, it, that was mm. wonderful um, mm. because
2: it was it just kind of established a great community about women who were passionate about sports and about having fun, and and that was really great. And the fact that it was rooted in Bloomberg Sports and the fact that you guys gave us a platform um, to play was just really fantastic. And I wish there was more of that.
1: And you were doing the videos, too, right? Yeah. Know, yeah. yeah. I'm drawing a blank then, on the name. With Rob Shaw. Rob yeah. Shaw. Yeah. What was right. the name of the video? Though?
2: Ballpark Figures. Ballpark Figures. How right. can I forget and, that? And, right. and Fourth in Fantasy. Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: exactly. Nice. Rob Shaw, who has now gone on to talk about right. Facebook. Right. and his There's, right. Facebook There's like 10,000
1: of those yeah. videos yeah. in the, yeah. in I know. the uh, ash heap of YouTube. I mean. That's
2: right. Yeah. Yeah. If you YouTube, <laughs> Bloomberg sure Sports, do so. a lot of those produced. We did a lot. I think we shot like two or three videos like
0: Every, every hour.
2: Every
1: right. hour. So you and I used to debate who should get promoted, which, which Twitter account should be promoted in yeah. the front and back of those.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, Julie, you've touched on a bunch of things where you were a first as a woman being involved. Uh, we're now in a Me Too era. Um, you mentioned a little bit how things have changed, but they haven't changed. What were the experiences like for you? Esports, fantasy, getting involved as a sideline host. What was it like for you to kind of get involved with the business? Were there challenges that you had to overcome? And, you know, I guess one, one of the things is what are the messages that you want to give to people today, you know, who are still trying to get into a business which is very much a man's world, whether it's on the business side or on the broadcast side?
2: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that statement. I think it is a man's world as far as, you know, where we're at which right we're now. Which we're trying to change, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hire more women. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it is, it is a male dominant, um, industry of sports, whether it be on camera, media, any kind of, um, team ownership and working for, you know, different teams or networks. Um, but yeah, I think that is changing. Um, but I really think it's all about how you handle yourself and how you present yourself. And if you allow certain behavior, then it will prevail Um, I think when you walk into a clubhouse, if you handle yourself in the correct way, and when I mean, you know, the way the guys say you play the game the right way, handle yourself in the right way. You go in and, you know, you take a page from Miss, one of my favorites, Miss Alana Rizzo, who is the silent reporter for the Dodgers. She's one of my absolute uh, favorites in the industry. And, you know, she handles her business. She goes in to the clubhouse, as I would. You ask your questions and you get out. Yeah, I'm not there to hang out. I'm not there to make friends. These are not my teammates. I am not part of the team. And having an understanding of just how it all works and being self-aware, I think, is really helpful. Um, trailblazing is not easy, and people will question you all the way if you're a female working in sports because automatically you've got the deck stacked against you. People automatically think you don't know what you're talking about. And the, one of the most common questions I would always get from guys always from guys would be so do you really like sports or like are you just doing it cuz like you want to like meet I don't a know. player not if that <laughs> but that was it and I'm like you know what's funny is that if I was a guy you would never ask me that if I went to Kevin Burkhardt be like so Kevin Burkhardt you really like sports or are you just doing this because you want to be famous like nobody asked that so automatically you got to know your stuff you got to do your homework you got to do your research and you got to be so prepared doubly prepared because whatever comes at you if you're not able to answer it and pick it up quick you will be exposed and that right there the Hardest thing to gain back is the trust, and and the reputation. And so I think really it comes down to handling yourself correctly, dressing correctly. I cannot cannot drive that home enough. Dressing appropriately mm-hmm. as a female. Yes, it's a double standard. Men can wear whatever they want, but women. I, I will hold back. (laughs) But I I just, I really believe in in that. Just cover up, Don't the producers
1: have something to do with that? They
2: do and they don't. It depends on who your producer is. I mean, there's some producers that are just, I mean, again, it's, you're working for guys that don't understand that you need time for hair and makeup. You're working in stadiums and in ballparks and in, on fields that don't have the, facilities to handle a female makeup room or a female you know a female locker room because it's just for the team and that's it so when you see us on the sideline with a huge bag that's got our street clothes our shoes our notes our bags our makeup our hair all this stuff because if it's 20 degrees at lambeau fields and it's snowing we're still expected to look right. beautiful with a gorgeous blowout and our extensions and our <laughs> eyelashes and right. and it's you know and it's we're in the middle of a snowstorm
1: so so another battleground developed after you got into the business which 2008ish which was the world of social media which mm-hmm. technically existed but it wasn't a big platform for commentators and sideline reporters and journalists yeah and then it became a huge outlet and that seems to be another, and I hate to use the word, but it kind of as battleground for this engagement game yeah. in modern media. Yep. and it's, it seems like female journalists have had a really tough go with it because of all the trolling.
2: A, a lot of trolling. It's yeah. just another avenue to be challenged. I mean, you're already being challenged left and right, and then you got to be challenged by Joe Schmo who sits in, you know, seat sixteen, section E. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> like shut up! You get up here and do it. It's mm-hmm. harder than it looks. And or from a video
1: clip that you're in, sure that goes oh. viral. Oh my something.
2: gosh! I, I mean, no. the Gatorade dumps. I can't. I, I don't read the comments. I don't read the comments because it's it's ridiculous. Because
0: you got in the middle of a couple of, especially with the Nationals. Right?
2: <laughs> oh my god! So all the time.
1: First day on I'm the like, Gatorade that.
0: dumps where the player was getting dumped and right. Julie was interviewing. Oh, I see. Him. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: First day on the job. So
1: you're so you're, you get collateral damage.
2: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's a little just, you know, it's hazing. Yeah, but okay. It's, it, I didn't mind the, the Gatorade jumps. I didn't mind it. Uh, I thought they were great. I mean, it was obviously they were celebrating something, right. so it was after, you know. And
1: but on a more serious note, it seems as though the owners of the media outlets, whether they be the, the teams themselves, which are in the media business now, mm-hmm. or the networks, or any of these media companies, they want you guys fully engaged, active, because drives attention and potentially viewership or ratings or whatever. But the, it seems like the deeper you go in, the more the, the, the chances of getting, being involved in unfortunate situations increase.
2: Yeah. You subject yourself to a lot. Right. Um, so how do you balance that? I mean, personally, I've, I consider myself to have been extremely lucky and that I really didn't have to deal with too much as far as fans. Um, ragging or trolling no. on me um but it, yeah it's it, it comes with the territory and you just have to block it out i mean there's really no filter um unfortunately and they should make that twitter they should make a filter um, because i mean i've seen awful trolls you know harping on a female sports reporter's outfit right. and what of of what consequence is that to her report that she's no. giving nothing i mean it's just it's really ridiculous what people will will hold on to, um, but I, I think if you just, you know, have a clear mind and and just get your you know point out there and try to weed through, um, I think that's all you can do because you do have to you do have to engage.
0: So speaking of engagement, talk a little bit about is it different in the esports world uh, from what you had to go through because you weren't obviously a gamer. You said you had to gain the trust, and you've talked a lot mm-hmm. about trust. Um, and that's a world that's come under even more fire recently uh, as the stakes have gotten higher where it's a lot of men, a lot of young guys, you know, very clicky, yeah, not a could. lot of women involved at all. So so was that more of a challenge even than baseball? And, and how did you deal with, with kind of the issues that would come along in esports when you were working at MLG and some of the other stuff you've done since then?
2: Yeah, There really weren't too many issues that I personally had to deal with when I was doing um, the interviews for MLG. Again, I wasn't an analyst, so I wasn't breaking down game footage. Mm -hmm. So I was mostly there for, you know, it was sort of, it was lifestyle, but it was also, you know, kind of taking the overview and, and not, and I, you know, hesitate to say they weren't softball questions, but it was more about the event at hand and understanding what was at stake, where they were seated and what was happening in that particular um, battle. And I did have a producer that worked with me. And, and after a while, you do pick up. I mean, I was doing it for four years. So, you know, you get, uh, you know, you get in tune with the personalities, you know what they're asking, you know where they've been. And so you're able to, you know, ask them intelligent, pointed questions. Um, but I do see a deficit of female um, presence in esports right now and I think the biggest issue is that there's a hesitation on the on the game side on, on the network side to hire a female that isn't already a gamer but here's the thing you can't have both you cannot have someone who is a gamer who has no TV camera know-how or presence you also can't have, a female sports reporter that knows nothing about gaming mm-hmm. you want to have ideally both i mean has pam oliver ever punted on a major mm-hmm. <laughs> on a field no mm-hmm. but she's fantastic at what she does and she asks intelligent questions and i think there's this fear that you know whether it be riot or e league or mlg that they're going to get bashed for having someone who isn't already vetted by the community doing any sort of media on their stage. And I think that's the pushback, but I really hope that that changes because there's a certain amount of TV quality that as we see esports expand and as we see the stage getting bigger, I really hope that they will look to professionals and not just kids who hold the microphone and inappropriately ask questions. And, and I don't mean inappropriately in a, in a degrading way, but just mm-hmm. not questions and not phrasing them correctly. I mean, just, it's really sad. I think that the production value needs to come up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes with hiring professionals.
1: Or there could be like a la Twitch, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, an approach that is really different than pro, pro, traditional pro sports, where there are multiple ways to view the competition, mm-hmm. which could include fellow hardcore gamers or you know, really smart, intelligent, well-spoken TV-type commentators. Right. Because it seems like, you know, the authenticity is really key. Yeah. So one of the things that I always kind of balk at a little bit as a fan, and I watch a lot of sports, is when you get the sense that a sideline sideline reporter is just being prompted 100% by their producer in the studio, which I guess is often the case, but you like to see some... Cinema verite or something like that because I get a real genuine yeah. response to a facial gesture or something like that. But, but you don't feel like you get that very often. So that was one of my questions. And, uh, and tell me what you think how, how it relates right, or now how it is in regular sports right now and how that might apply mm-hmm. in eSports. Because it feels like if eSports, from a media standpoint, doesn't maintain its authenticity, mm-hmm. it risks alienating a lot of viewers who have kind of grown up with this non-professional world of presentation, right. you know? Yeah, It's an well, interesting uh, balance. But, uh, but in pro sports, how much is really happening as directed by the producer?
2: Not that much. Okay. I mean, not that much. And and I'm actually kind of sad that that kind of bums me out that, that that's the perception. Because well, that's my
1: personal perception. I don't know what you <laughs> No, no. I, I disagree with Tom 100%. percent
2: <laughs> No, and, and hopefully that's... I mean, I, I guess that would be the perception, but... Is, let me ask you: Is that because it's a you think that when it's a female asking the question? No no, 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 no. Or is that? Well, I'll
1: use an example of a sport. So the NBA, I believe, has a rule, which show you must know about, where the coaches are allowed to be interviewed. I think before halftime, like mm-hmm. both coaches. So Darius Burke, like go get Greg Popovich, which sure. is probably a, a phrase no one wants to hear, mm-hmm. <laughs> any interviewer, and she has this very intense. 30 seconds where she has to go physically, I guess, clo- I, I guess mm-hmm. she's allowed to get access, Yeah, gets in close. Hey, coach, hey, coach. He's the last, I mean, he seems to be the most difficult interviewee in the business other than Belichick. And I don't know if that's Doris Burke formulating the question. She's really good at it. Yeah. So nothing wrong with that. But, but is that someone thinking about the bigger picture of the, of the telecast prompting a question or allowing her truly to improvise based on the kind of the, the, the vibe she gets from Popovich?
2: Well, what happens is in production, you know, the media crew descends on the city for the game at hand and the night before they have a production meeting where they talk about storylines. What do we want to get out of this? What do we need to know? Um, what kind of question? You know, what should we be after? What are the, story, the main, you know, the leads that we want to go for? And... And so those sort of be talked about in very general statements, and then of course the sideline reporter's job is to then take into account whatever happened that day to affect whatever outcome that they right. need to ask. And so if it's not you know an updated question, then <laughs> yeah, maybe it was right. something that was memorized. But um, no, that would be on Doris to come up with something, you know, right then and there. yeah, okay. that, yeah absolutely. Um,
1: I guess my I guess in, in summary, what I would say is. It's clear to me as a viewer. Some people do it way better than other mm. people. Some people you just get the sense, of just reading something that's being told to them. That could be in the majority. That's not the majority, but I. But every so often, you kind of see something. Mm. Like oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Because um, it just it does doesn't seem like it's the right. I mean, in my opinion, the right question for the moment. Yeah. But then again, I know it's also really tough in the NBA, right? Because you do have. I mean, it's really different at halftime versus end of game. Sure. Right? And in the heat of the, the battle.
2: Absolutely. And I've had this happen to me before where, you know, right before the cameras start rolling, I'll have a coach or a player will look at me and turn to me and, you know, dead in the eyes and say, don't ask me about X, Y, and Z.
1: Even though you want to. Even though you that. want
2: to. And even though right. that's what I have in my head to right. go for. And right. then you've got cameraman saying three, two, and then you're like, okay, we're going right. to improv- We're going to ask something else. We're going to go in a totally different direction. Because they do that right. and, and they don't want to talk about whatever it is. And they say, don't ask me about that. And so then you have to respect that because yeah. again, that goes into reputation and trust, right. even if it's the question of the day. I mean, if they don't want to be asked about it, you, then you have to use your judgment. Right. You know, do you still want to go for it?
1: Another question I think, I, I know I've had this for a long time, and I assume a lot of listeners who watch sports uh, in its different forums may have a similar question, which is how much of the banter the studio banter for whatever coverage is happening is genuine versus telepromptered. I know like there's, when there's real banter, it's really obvious. Yeah. But sometimes I wonder like what percentage of what's being said is coming off the prompter.
2: Depends on the host.
1: Okay. There's some So they'll they'll give some latitude to people that are better at it, let's say. Oh yeah. People have been
2: doing it for a while. I mean, especially, you know, if they have a good reputation or the good repartee. Right. In... The studio. I mean, you've got those like you know Fox NFL Sunday guys. Right, they all know each other. I mean, yeah. maybe or they the have TNT
1: well, basketball. Guys.
2: Sure, of course. Or or like um, MLB. You know, MLB on Fox playoff baseball. You've got right. Kevin. You've got Big Poppy. You've got yes. A Rod.
1: Can't player. tell them
2: nothing. Like they're just right. gonna go. Like right. you you don't need to yeah. say anything. Right. Maybe you've got a couple bullet points in the prompter, but you know, other than maybe introducing or throwing to a feature where you have to state certain things. I would imagine that, you know, gameplay on the field will dictate whatever the, the banter is. And, and that's part of what they get paid for is to have a personality and to have a point of view and just to be able to go and talk about whatever it is. And that's when you really see the chemistry between the guys. I, I would say a lot of that banter is not scripted. I would hope it's not.
0: So chemistry, banter, storytelling, um, it seems to me at least, or people who are watching what's going on in esports and gaming, that that's kind of the missing link for getting more of an engaged, casual audience involved. And you talked a little bit about storytelling. Um, You're talking about esports? Esports. Yeah. How, why hasn't that happened yet? And is it whose onus is it on? Is it on the, the broadcast network? Is it on the game maker? Is it on the team owners? Uh, and when do you think we'll see more of that storytelling come?
2: Soon really frickin' soon, I hope. Um, I think esports is trying to follow in the footsteps of mainstream sports as much as they can. Does it have to? No, it doesn't have to. I think
1: that's a really good question. That's kind of what I was getting at.
2: I don't think it has to at all. I think they can figure out their own style. And for for lack of a better term, I think they have. Because their style is very... um, It's very casual. Because... It's a whole nother because these a lot of the announcers are not trained professional broadcasters. And nine times out of ten, they're just doing their best impression of McCarver or whoever they've been watching right. doing football or baseball. And so they, you're basically watching kids doing an impression of sportscasters of what they think is sports casting right. on a stage for eSports. That's how I see it, right. Um, Although we,
1: are, we do have a new generation of young people who, as digital natives, mm-hmm. who have, are not necessarily stick and ball sport fans, right. who don't know that frame of reference, Because only frame of reference might be Minecraft from age age 6 through 11, and suddenly they're into the big stuff.
2: But those aren't the guys that you're seeing behind a desk on a set. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Right. Because, you know, will we make a departure in esports? Will will esports broadcasting make a departure from mainstream sports?
0: So here's a good question, and I don't know what the answer to this question is. Maybe you do, Julie. So if you go to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, not a good example, but well, not a bad example. But, but the Newhouse School, um, University of Michigan, um, the Medill School, Western, yeah. Medill School at Northwestern, and you hear about broadcasters, are they training any of these young people in esports? Maurice, do you know the answer to that question as, as a broadcaster? Or is it just like, we're going to do, go do all the sports, the traditional sports, and hope that they... Morph into what we think will be an interesting business because everyone's talking about esports. I don't know of anybody teaching people how to broadcast esports in a, in any semi traditional way. I'm getting a lot of shaking heads.
1: Are just figuring it out. Okay. They're, they're, this is Maurice, by the way, not another accent from Julie.
0: Their main <laughs> focus. Their main focus <laughs> right, right now. Or is, Julie imitating Maurice. Their <laughs> main focus right now, when it comes to esports, to get their their kind of. I think management. I just un, unlaunched uh, launched another shadow business which we need to get athletic with. programming right. on board but also as collegiate esports grows mm-hmm. actually a lot of collegiate esports organizations like uh, tespa or uh Ulo from riot or um egf tyler mm-hmm. who we had on they actually train their casters their yeah. collegiate casters so a lot of casters now get through that feeder system mm-hmm. where they get trained by the, by the organizers of the
1: tournaments themselves. Interesting. So, uh, a a question is: You know, with the pro- and and this is a good one for Maurice and Julie. Uh, with the proliferation of the leagues and distribution of competitive uh, video gaming, will there be a good and expanding market for more esports announcers in whatever form that takes?
2: Absolutely. Well, for an so example, so there's our new business. I think so. E talk. E Talk, I mean, so Dan Patrick. Cool, Joe. Mm-hmm. Dan Patrick, legendary sportscaster, has um, a course in sportscasting at Full Sail University. And it's also being taught by Gus Ramsey, who is a producer, longtime producer mm-hmm. on SportsCenter. He's working with Major League Gaming as an on air talent coach for a lot of the wow. on air talent. As part of that? Well, or related to that? for Dan Patrick, he's also working okay. with Full Sail, but okay. he's also working independently with Major League Gaming to make sure that all of the announcers right. are on point and are asking good questions and are presenting themselves in a professional right. way. So those guys are already being coached by a professional who comes mm-hmm. from mainstream sports. And I think anyone who attends, I would hope that anyone who attends the Full Sail University courses um, by Dan Patrick, that they will be covering eSports And if anything, I mean, they've got, like I said, Gus, who is ensconced in major league gaming and working with these guys. So he's already a conduit to esports. And so I would imagine that they're teaching a lot of those kids. But you do have to have a basic sort of base knowledge, obviously, of the game. You don't have to be a gamer per se. But it will be interesting to see what it evolves into and if it's going to go more of the mainstream sports. I mean, you talk about you've got owners like – Bob Kraft, and you've got Mark Cuban, and you've got all these mainstream sports team
0: owners.
1: Yeah, well, just a lot of them. Now. A lot of them. The majority. Technical, Tons. Technical yeah. Yeah. The Bucks and the mm-hmm. Sixers. Sixers, and, right. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: So, are they going to want to see that yeah. sort yeah. of presentation?
1: Right. To me, to me, it's a, because I think, uh, and we'd love to get your opinion on this point too. It's a, it's a related point. Is that I think everybody's starting to agree, and, and Adam Silver was the first one to kind of go public with this notion that maybe there's stuff that this industry, pro sports, needs to learn from esports. Yep. And mm-hmm. one of the things he referenced was making NBA games look more like Twitch, which is a really interesting thought. He's, he literally said that, it's quoted all the time now. And what he was referring to was basically reimagining what the presentation of pro sports on a screen should be. Because it's essentially been the same, as you well know, for half a century. Which is the long shot, usually two people in the booth, often men, basically just giving their insider account of the game. And for young audiences who are these digital natives, it may be preferable to have a completely different conception. Even when I was watching March Madness On Demand, did you guys see this, uh, the streaming product over Mm -hmm. the weekend? Right. So for those of you who checked out their March Madness Live project, which was literally everywhere, so on the site and on the app and everything like that. While you're watching the stream, you had a choice of box score, team set, and it literally just pops up the stats on the screen. It's a really simple concept. You cannot do that on a TV right now. You're sitting there on your phone getting that second screen experience, but it really should be integrated with the first screen, mm-hmm. but it can't be done on linear television right now, which is one reason why the Twitch angle is so interesting, I think, to the powers that be. So,
2: And it's all based on consumption. Because that younger generation does not own a TV to be able to watch it in that way. And there's that. So in order to keep up, you've got to serve in a consumable way Mm -hmm. that your audience is going to be able to watch. Because everyone I know who's pretty much under 25 or 30, nobody has TVs. Nobody's watching. Even sports fans, even my sports fans friends, Mm -hmm. they're like, they don't have a TV. If they want to go watch a big game, they'll go out to like a bar or something. But like, who has a TV anymore? Everyone's watching. It's multi-screen viewing. So of course, they need to start showing mainstream sports in a mobile or, you know, smaller screen consumable way.
0: And the big fear is, can you sell it? because there's an older audience that is trying to sell it, advertising sales. And then ironically, the first week of March badness, there there were two games in Boise, Idaho, which were shot at an angle that people did not want.
1: I didn't see that.
0: So um, because of where the camera position was in Boise, and they got a ridiculous amount of complaints. And what did CBS do? They went back to the original position as to where the camera was supposed to be. So, so it wasn't really intentional, but right. the backlash that you still get, because this is all still very early in the process, right. um, that the people aren't just paying. And ESPN's done a really good job with the multicast, you know, but I think that the, we're just starting to see it. At the end of the day is they have to be able to sell it, and that's because it costs money. I understand. I think players.
1: in pro sports, as, as long as the, the interruptive model still underpins the whole thing, which is not going to be changing anytime soon, then the selling will be the advertising. That's the main revenue driver. But what I'm suggesting is an alternative production approach that mm-hmm. now more and more owners and commissioners are actually well, not too many commissioners, but at least one of them um, mm-hmm. is starting to speak very openly about saying we have to evolve. We can't keep showing this sport the same way. To me, baseball is a good example too. Mm-hmm. Now, for 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 purists, this is heresy. I understand that, and I'm of the age where probably a lot of people. Prefer it not to change, but I can also appreciate the fact that if I'm raised as a digital native and I grew up on a screen where you have all different kinds of things happening and all different ways to access information to complement what you're doing, Twitch being a good example, then if you want me to watch your your game, Mr. Commissioner of Baseball, you got to do something better for me. I mean, you're a baseball person, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you think that is even possible, or is it too oh, radical?
2: I mean. Or maybe it only happens
1: in the digital realm as an experiment, kind of like what Adam was talking about. Mm
2: -hmm. I think that's a start. Yeah. I mean, even talking about clocks (laughs) in baseball had so much backlash. pitch clocks, right. Pitch clocks, right. I had so much backlash. Um, I think baseball is the slowest to evolve when it comes to that. I think they are losing. I mean, the numbers show what they are. They are losing fans, and that's really sad because I'm personally a baseball purist, and... Even though I'm on the younger side of being a baseball purist, but um, but I would like to see, you know, MLBAM just trying something different because they have to they, mm-hmm. they have to evolve and you know it's you know change or die it's right. that that is what it is if you need if you want to get a younger generation into watching your games into watching your broadcasts and your feed you have to give it to them you know as they are able to consume it.
0: So Julia, in the couple minutes we have left, we'd like to ask all our guests two questions. And you can kind of, the first one is, how do you stay smart and up to date with things? And you have an interesting perspective because how do you stay smart about everything that's going on in the esports world? Where do, where do people go and where do you get your information? And then how do you stay smart in the general world uh, of sports and business and, and entertainment and fashion and everything else and voiceovers and everything else that you do? And then the second question is, what advice do you, we have a lot of young people who listen to these, what advice do you give to people in any industry just trying to either make a career change or starting out? So how do you stay smart, and then what advice do you give?
2: Okay, how do I stay smart? One word, Twitter.
0: <laughs>
2: it's easy. I mean, that's I, – I check it. It's the first thing I check in the morning, um, and I check it multiple times a day. And mm. that is, you know, between lists and Hootsuite, that's basically – So you're an active list user. Yeah.
1: Because to me, that's an under – under underutilized. Aspect. Well, a lot of people don't use lists. Anymore, yeah. But you, you want a clean feed if you're using it for information, right? I do. You don't want a mess. So.
2: I do. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, Twitter's great. What's an
1: example of one of your lists?
2: Sports broadcasters. I mean, okay. that's, that's just right. like an easy so one. So all but the that's, famous
1: commentators that you've mentioned. Sports, yes. And yeah. mostly
2: my sideline reporters yeah. in different regions and in different markets because I'm always getting the up-to-date. I mean, Justin Turner hit by pitch yesterday in the game. Now I mean, oh, Hopefully just till May. Uh, big fan of JT ever since the Mets. Um, really sad to see. One that got
0: away, but we don't have to get into that. What, so <laughs> one <of them>. a <laughs> minute. What I was gonna say. Not
2: just him. Yeah. Uh, common theme. But um, yeah, that that was awful to watch. But you know, it's it's the up to the minute. I, I can't imagine anything better than Twitter for for up to the minute updates and and news. Um and then you're the question How should people get involved in sports? Like,
0: how,
1: what advice do Career. you give us for young Career-size. people who are breaking, that are developing their careers?
2: Oh man, find what makes you unique, find what makes you interesting, and do that. Don't do an impression of what you think a sports broadcaster, sideline reporter, media executive should be. Because there's so many of that. There's so much of that. There's so much noise in the space. Everybody wants to do it. It's not easy. If it was, everybody would do it. It's hard. So find what makes you and your voice unique and interesting. And what do you bring to it? What's your point of view? Having a point of view as any sort of media personality is so key because it's about consistency. When people tune in and they're following you, they know what they're getting. And they're following you for a reason, because they like your point of view, they like your sense of humor, they like what you have to say, and it's authentic. Be authentically you. I mean, now with everyone, you know, there's this sort of connection between mobile viewing and authenticity. There's only so much you can fake on TV when you have the phone or the mobile device really close to your face. It's even more important to be 100% authentic. So finding what makes you different, I think, and celebrating that, it sounds very 2.0, but I think that that's um, really important and to stand out. Um, and, and to be fearless, go for it, you know, go for it and, and also create your own content. I think creating your own content is really important. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to see proof of concept. Everyone wants to see you on a reel. So I tell a lot of the young girls that um, ask me for advice, I say, okay, if you're in high school or college, go, go to your local high school baseball field, base you know, college baseball field, and do a stand-up in the middle of one of their games. Have a friend tape you or, you know, put your iPhone on a tripod and just film yourself doing an update. It doesn't even have to be legitimate. I mean, it could just be about anything, but do that so you can get the experience and also have a robust
1: social media. Right. <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. That's oh. really good insight, Sarah. So
0: most importantly, well, first of all, oh, wait, I at the, be- at the no. beginning of this, I referenced La Jolla. And the reason why is because oh, yeah. Tom was just in, uh, in La Jolla. And Julie happens to be around La Jolla, where she lives. So that was right. our. We La Jolla found out addition. that
1: my sister lives a few blocks away from Julie in La
0: Jolla, <laughs> and not too far from Romney, But that's <laughs> right. another story.
2: That's so, right, mid yeah. my neighbor. And, and a
1: welcome change from New York City mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of March, yep. 2018.
0: So. so, so lastly, Julie, where can people find you on Twitter, on social media, um, if they want to kind of follow you a little bit more and build their own lists? Yeah. yeah.
2: Follow me, interact with me, as long as it's positive. No, I'm kidding. You can say whatever you want. Um, My Twitter handle is at Julie, J-U-L-I-E, Alexandria, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-I-A. And my Instagram is at Julie Alexandria 00. And you can find me on Facebook. I have a fan page. I have a real page. Um, I think I maxed out my... Mm. real page Um, so I have a fan page but um, yeah I get the messages so if you have any questions if you ever want to chat if you ever want any advice I'm always up for helping um, and talking and giving advice or looking at reels or whatever it is and yeah, yeah absolutely I think it's do you
1: Snapchat at all?
2: Oh, as Kylie said, does anyone ever use Snapchat anymore? <laughs> um, no, I We've actually... We've
0: five guests on the show today, Tom. So I, right, so, right.
2: I deleted my Snapchat about six months ago.
0: Wow.
2: Um, because it's too much noise. Yeah. It, as, as the great um, F. Murray Abraham said in the Milos Forman film Amadeus, too many notes.
1: Wow. Wow. How about that? Let's for end Hans on that. It's so. Outstanding, yeah. really. Thank yeah. you so much. Tom, once again, a great show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Maurice. Maurice chimed in today, too. So we actually had like eight guests on the show. So that'll be a good quiz for people. Name all the voices. All right. But anyway, this has been the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson, and our able-bodied producer,
1: Maurice Eisenman. And Julie Alexandria, thanks for joining us. And we will see you down the line. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University sports podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and the host is Joe Fabrito. Our production assistant this week is Columbia student Maurice Heisman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at cu underscore s. very much. We'll see you next time.